you. Please be seated. And uh, turn in your Bibles, please, to Leviticus chapter 7. Leviticus 7. We're going to read two verses, 37 and 38, but we're only going to look at one verse this morning, and that is verse 37. Leviticus 7, 37 and 38. If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 86. Uh, I found it interesting that uh, this morning we had that little uh, promotional uh, uh, blurb for uh, Life Unstuck. And one of the things that caught my attention in that was that there were no words spoken. Did you see how easily and wonderfully it communicated, even though there was not a word that was spoken? There were written words, but the whole thing was done without words. And sometimes God tells us stories to communicate to us and touch our hearts, doesn't He? We're going to look at that a little bit today in this passage as well. So Leviticus 7, verses 37 and 38. This is what the Word of the Lord says. This is the law of the burnt offering, of the grain offering, of the sin offering, of the guilt offering, of the ordination offering, and of the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai on that day, that He commanded the people of Israel to bring their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. This is the word of the Lord. Let's just pray together for a moment. Well, Lord, who is adequate to speak your word? None of us. But we've come together hoping to hear from you, and we're, we're hoping to hear from the Lord Jesus Christ. So we would ask you to do those things for us today. We would ask you to speak to us powerfully out of your word. We pray that souls might be saved. We pray that believers might be strengthened. We pray that all of our hearts might be encouraged today because we've been in your presence and we've heard your word. And so help us, Lord. All the work is yours. We count on nothing but you. Come to our rescue. In Jesus' name, amen. Whoever tells the stories rules your world. Whoever tells the stories rules your world. We are put together as human beings in such a way so that stories are the things that shape our hearts and that change our values. Let me give you a little illustration of that. My wife and I, for many years, number of years, had the privilege of serving the Lord in the Latin American country of Paraguay. And one of the things that we did uh, occasionally was we would be with an Owansa group. It's an Awana group. It's sort of like what we do over here on Wednesday night on the, uh, the Olympian program. And uh, it's a very interesting thing. You, it may surprise you to learn this, but they started every uh, service, that started every uh, ministry session with the kids by uh, pledging allegiance to the flag. And it may shock you that they did not pledge allegiance to the U.S. flag. They actually pledged allegiance to the Paraguayan flag. And my wife and I, because we were involved in this, had to participate in this, I mean, after all, your leader has to do what, what everybody does, right? You've got to be an example to the kids. But I noticed a very interesting thing, and that was that though I might be standing there while the pledge was being recited to the Paraguayan flag, nothing moved in my heart. Nothing was moving in my heart when we did that. What a far different experience we had when we came back home to the United States and saw people reciting the Pledge of Allegiance to our own flag. And I can tell you that it's a different thing on the inside 
when it's that flag for me. And why is it that way for me? It's that way for me as it is for you. Because when I was a child, first my parents, and then the media, and then the school system, and most important of all, the other kids in the neighborhoods, told me the stories. They told me the stories about this country that we live in. They told me about George Washington and his little axe chopping down the cherry tree saying, I cannot tell a lie. How far have we come? Can I get an amen? All right. That was editorial. Just forget that. But they told me the stories. They told me about the the heroes who died to set the slaves free in in the Civil War. They told me about the men who walked off and marched off to fight in Europe in 1917 although it seems a long way away. But they were heroes, and they turned the tide. They told me about the men who struggled and died in World War II in order for this country to be free. And those stories, the stories that we hear, have a peculiar effect on us, do they not? They teach our heart what to feel, and they teach us the value system that we live under, don't they? We get it from the stories. So it's not surprising that God has filled His Word with stories. He fills His Word with stories. Why does He do that? Not just to teach us propositional truth, but because He wants to shape our heart, because He wants us to feel something, because He wants us to respond with a certain set of values. And this little passage that we've got before us today, just this 37th verse, there's a story in this verse. You you, you look at this, and these are people who God is talking to Moses. They have come out of Egypt. They've come out to Mount Sinai. God is telling them how He wants to be worshipped and what they're to do. And He says, now I'm going to give you a visual story, very much like that video that we saw this morning. No words. I'm going to show it to you in pictures, and it's going to be loaded with meaning, and it's going to be wonderful for you. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to have five sacrifices that talk to you about what it takes to live safely with me. The idea that we're going to look at today is simply this, that Christ's sacrifice for us has satisfied God's just demands, and that by all means we should put our trust in Him for salvation. Let's just look at these verses. I've broken this lesson into just three basic sections and I've arranged the message around hymn titles. And so here we go, What a Mighty God We Serve. You want to find out what a mighty God we serve? Anybody know that one? Raise your hand, Pastor Eugene. There you go. We know that one. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Here's what God says to do. Now, He says, here's what I want you to do. Here's, I'm going to give you a law, and it's going to involve six different offerings. First of all, the offering, the law of the burnt offering the law of the grain offering, the law of the sin offering, the law of the guilt offering, of the ordination offering, and the peace offering. Now, we're not going to look at the ordination offering today because it deals with simply setting aside people uh, for ministry is what that is. So that's not what we want to look at today. But all of these other five offerings are for the people. They're for the sins of the people. Now, I want you to go with me today in your imagination to what the average... Jewish uh, man or woman would have thought as he watched these offerings being enacted. 
Because one of the things that, um, that uh, may surprise us is that they probably did not understand the meaning of these offerings. God said, do this, and they did it, but the meaning probably wasn't clear. Put yourself in the picture of, of, in the place of these folks. First of all, a man comes to the temple, and he brings a, a, a little lamb with him to be a burnt offering. God says, I need to bring a burnt offering. What's going to happen to the lamb? So there's a picture. He brings his lamb to the door of the temple or to the door of the tabernacle. And the priest says, what do you want to do? And the guy says, I'm here to, I'm here to do a, a burnt offering. What do I do? He says, well, put your, put your hands on the head of the lamb. So the worshiper would put his hands on the head of the lamb. And then after he'd put his hands on the head of the lamb, either the priest or the worshiper would take a knife and cut the lamb's throat. And blood would begin to pour out. The lamb would die very quickly. Blood would be caught in a bowl. The priest would take the bowl to the altar, and the worshiper is watching all this. He would take the bowl to the altar. He would sprinkle the the blood on the altar and pour out the blood at the base. And then he would take the lamb, the whole lamb, and he would throw it onto the altar, and the entire lamb would be completely burnt up. Now, can you imagine yourself standing there watching this happening and saying to yourself, what in the world does that mean? What do you think that's about? Perhaps his wife is with him. He turns to his wife, because we always get our best ideas from our wives, right? No, it's true. Can I get an amen? (laughs) All right. So, but, but can you imagine the confusion in his mind? What was this about? Why is the lamb burnt up completely? And the wife says, listen, just do it. God says do it, so just do it. It probably means something, but I don't know what it means, but just do it. It'll be all right. A little while later, the man comes back with another offering. The priest says, now look, there's another offering you need to, to do. We're going to do a grain offering. Oh, so what do I do? Well, go to Publix. Get a five-pound bag of flour. Make sure it's the best flour there. Don't buy the cheap stuff. Get the good stuff. Take it home. I want you to mix some water with it. I want you to make uh, crackers out of it. Don't put any leaven in it. Don't put any, any yeast in it. This is not to rise. Bake it in, your, uh, in the oven. Bring it back to me. We're going to pour some oil on top of it. And then we're going to sacrifice this to the Lord. I'm going to eat some, and uh, we're going to burn some on the altar, and it's going to be a sacrifice. And the worshiper says, gee, I wonder what that's about. God says, do it. I guess I'll do it. But I, I wonder what's meant by this. See, they didn't have any idea, did they? How about you? Do things ever happen in church that you don't have any idea? You walk out saying, I wonder what that was all about. I think we've all had that experience, haven't we? But, but think how much more intense it would be for these people because we have these symbols and what does it, what does it all mean? They come back a little later with another offering. And the offering is a sin offering. Now that one they've got a little more of an idea about, don't they? They know that somehow in this process, God forgives their sins. And so they bring their animal to the offering, to the, to the door of the tabernacle or to the door of the, uh, the temple at this point. And they say to the priest, what do we do this time? He says, put your hands back on the head of the offering. They cut the animal's throat, the blood is burned, but this time they slaughter the animal and they take just the best parts of the animal, put it on the fire. The best parts of the animal are put on the fire and the rest of the animal is taken outside the camp, taken outside the city and burnt up. And the worshiper might be saying, what in the world is going on? What's the meaning of that? 
How come this time it was just the best parts and the carcass of the animal had to be burned up outside? I wonder what this is all about. They come back for another offering, the fourth of the offerings. And this time, they, are, are, they know what they're there for. They're making good on a sin. There was a little lamb that was in the streets. Didn't look like he belonged to anybody. Looked like he might just be running loose, needed a home. So I took him home. And then I found out that he belongs to my neighbor, and I'm guilty of theft. I have stolen this lamb. What do I have to do now? The priest says, oh, I'll tell you what you got to do now. You not only have to give the lamb back, you not only have to have a sacrifice for your sin, but you have to give the lamb back to your neighbor, and then you've got to give him one of yours in addition to that. You have to undo all the damage that your theft has caused. And the guy says, okay, if that's what i got to do, I'll do it. Then finally, the last of the offerings. It's called a peace offering. I wonder what that means. Well, we come and we make this offering. And somehow... It's, it's different because this time what happens is, again, the animal is killed. This time the animal is slaughtered again. So the best parts are put on the fire. The priest gets some for him to eat, and I take some home for me to eat. Now, what in the world is that about? And so here is this system that seems such a strange system, and nobody seems to know what it's about, but they do it because God told them to do it. Seems strange, doesn't it? And now, 3,500 years later, you and I sit in a Christian church and we say, oh, we know what that means. We know what that means. Don't you know what that means? Let me tell you what it means. Let me tell you. And I'm going to tell you using a story. Would you like to have a story? Say, tell me a story, Daddy. Let me tell you a story that illustrates what that means. Suppose that uh, in your uh, joy at being at Bible Fellowship Church today, go with me in your imagination. You, the service is over. You have gone to, in peace to serve the Lord and love Him. You get in your car. You're headed out of the parking lot. One of Highlands County's finest does not seem to be out there today. And you, not paying attention, pull right out in front of a, of a trailways bus. Boom. And before you know it, you're standing in eternity. You got the picture? Here you are standing in front of a beautiful, beautiful, pearly gate. And there are walls there, and there's this strange-looking bald guy who's sitting at a desk. And he's got these books open in front of him. Are you with me? You have the picture? And you look at him and you say, Hey, I thought this was joke theology. Here I am. You must be St. Peter. He said, yeah, I'm St. Peter. You can call me Cephas. You can call me Simon. You can call me Peter. That's who I am. Well, here I am. St. Peter says to you, what are you here for? And uh, the guy says, well, I'm kind of hoping you would be able to tell me, you say. I'd like to go in, please. I'd like to go through the gates. Well, we might be able to arrange that, but, uh, but here's the thing. We don't just let anybody in here. There's not just anybody who can come in here. The people in here are very exclusive. So we want to check out, you know, who's coming in and make sure that only the best people get in there. You say, well, all right. What do I have to do? He says, well, we have, we have five tests. And so here's the first test. He says, if you want to live in here, if you want to go through the gate, if you want to be on the inside, 
then the very first thing you have to do is you have to be an individual who has given every moment of your life, waking or sleeping, to fulfilling the will of God. You must have set aside your own will. You must have abandoned your own way of doing things. And you must have done everything to exactitude that God demands in order for His purposes to be fulfilled. Now, have you done that? And about this time, you're getting a little creepy feeling on the back of your neck, right? Maybe a little butterfly in the stomach. And you say, oh, yeah, yeah I've done that. That was, that was easy. Sure, did that, been there, done that, bought the T-shirt. St. Peter says, I'm looking in the book here. And, and what I'm seeing in the book, it doesn't look like that, you know, because I got everything written down here that you ever did or you ever said. And it just, it just I'm sorry, but it just doesn't look like, you know, maybe you, you passed that test. Let's try another one. Let's try the second one. Let's try the second one. Second one is, you have to have lived a life that was absolutely, impeccably sinless, and it must have been a life of service to God. Have you done that? St. Peter says, have you done that? And you say, well, I, I, sort of. Well, Peter says, I'm looking in a book here, and I just, you know, it looks like there were times, you know, what about 19, you know, 68? That just looks like the whole year vaporized for you. You know? Yeah, I don't hardly remember that year. But (laughs) that's another story. So so St. Peter says, well, you're not so good. You're not doing so good on that one. Let's let's try another one, maybe maybe another one. So what's the what's the next one? Well, uh, uh, you, you're, the wrath of God has to be satisfied. You have to have made right everything that you ever did that was wrong, every sin you ever did, and we, we have evidence that you're a sinner. Everything you ever did has to be put back right. Total justice has to be satisfied. The wrath of God against every single sin that you ever committed in your life has to be completely satisfied. God has to be satisfied that everything you ever did wrong, even the smallest little thing, that his wrath is completely satisfied. Have you, have you been able to do that? Have you satisfied the wrath of God? About this time, you're looking for around to see if there's a, an exit, but you're afraid where it might lead. And so you're saying, well, I, I don't know how to do that. I don't even know how to do that. There's, there's no way I can even do that. Peter says, well, let's move on. Maybe, maybe there's another one. Let's, let's, maybe you'll do better on this one. Not only do you have to fulfill the will of God, not only must you have had a sinless life of service, not only must the wrath of God be satisfied about every one of your sins, but anything you ever did, the damage has to be undone. Have you undone the damage of, of this wrong stuff you did? Did you not only replace the stuff, but replace it with improvements when you are the one who had caused the damage. No, I didn't do that. Peter's starting to look a little concerned. You're starting to feel a little uncomfortable, more than a little uncomfortable. Peter says, well, let's move to the last one. Maybe there's one more. Maybe there's one more test that we could, that we could do here. How about this? The people who are inside this wall, the people who are through this gate have never had a single moment of their life that they were not in perfect peace and fellowship with God the Father. Not one single moment. 
Every one of them have been in perfect fellowship. How about you? Have you been in perfect fellowship? And you, you begin to hang your head and you say, Peter, I haven't done that. I haven't done that. I haven't done that. Peter says, not looking good for you, my friend. Not looking good for you. Oh, says Peter, wait a minute. Wait a minute. A little farther down in the book, there's just a little phrase written in red. Looks like somebody wrote it in blood. It says, the debt is canceled, Jesus. Right? The debt is canceled, Jesus. Right there. This is the altar with the blood splashed on it, right? This is where God took away all of our sins. His wrath was satisfied. His wrath was satisfied for every one of our sins. Jesus offered to him the exact complete fulfillment of all of the Father's will on our behalf. Jesus gave to the Father on our behalf a perfect, sinless life of service. Jesus made good all the damage that your sin and my sin had caused. And Jesus brought us into peace with the Father, which only He had known. Jesus gave us all of that. He did it through one sacrifice on Calvary 2,000 years ago. That is an objective fact. Now, let me ask you a question. What a mighty God we serve. Yeah? Do we serve a mighty God? Sing it with me. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before Him. Heaven and earth adore Him. What a mighty God we serve. We serve a mighty God. In one act on Calvary, one righteous act of sacrifice, Jesus Christ cleared away everything that would keep us from going through the gate. On His ticket, we walk through. Because of what He did for us, we walk through. Not because of anything we've done. Not because of anything we contribute. It is Jesus Christ who has fully satisfied all of the requirements for anybody who puts their faith in Him to go through the door and spend eternity with God inside the wall. That is a mighty God. That is who we serve. Second point. Here it is. My faith has found a resting place. Different hymn. Different, different uh, point. Here we go. Some of you may be sitting here today saying, how do I get into this? How, how do I get... How, how, what sense does it make that a man 2,000 years ago was crucified, was nailed to a cross, and somehow, somehow I get to go to heaven forever because that guy was on the cross? And the biblical answer to how you get into this, that is, by the way, what we looked at in the sacrifices is grace. That's grace. What we're now going to look at is how do I get in, and that is faith. We are saved by God's grace, working through faith. And so we come in through this thing called faith. Let's think together for a few moments about what faith is. In order for faith to do what it does, two things have to be true. First of all, there has to be an objective reality to be entrusted to. There has to be something that's true for us to trust. The Bible says this is true, that in space and time and history, 
Jesus Christ accomplished that for us. Fact number one. The second thing that we have to, fact that has to be true is we have to personally enter into this thing. We have to respond to it in some effective way. If either one of those things is untrue, we're cooked, right? So we've got to be sure that what this, what we're talking about here is an objective fact, and then we have to be sure that we respond correctly. Can I tell you how to do that? I'm going to tell you another story. Would you like another story? Here's my story. I love this story. This is a great story. You ready? My friend, Dean Vogel, has discovered that I am a sports car enthusiast. And he knows that the desire of my heart is to go to sports car heaven. And so he has come to me and he has told me, I have a red Ferrari reserved for you. It's going to arrive on such and such a day, it's going to be in my garage. I have already put your name on the title. I have the keys waiting for you. On such and such a day, you just need to come by and pick this up. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Would that it were so? Now, in order for me to get that Ferrari and go to sports car heaven, what do I have to do? Two things have to be true. Number one, there's got to be a red car in Dean's garage, right? If I get there and there's no red car in Dean's garage, what am I going to be doing? I'm going to be riding in my Honda Civic back to my place, right? Because if, the, if it's not objectively true that the thing that's been promised to me actually has, exists, that it's happened, that the car has arrived, then I'm not going to get anything. But there's something else that will keep me from riding around in sports car heaven. What is it? It's if I say, well, I believe that Dean's going to do that. What if I never go over to pick up the car? right? What if I don't enter in? Now look, this is what faith is. Faith is trusting that God has objectively done on Calvary everything He promised you that He has done. Faith is you responding to that by saying, I'll take that for myself personally. That's what faith is. Faith is the objective truth responded to by the willing heart. Faith is when I not only hear the gospel, but I say to God, you're right and I'm wrong. I'm a sinner and you've given me a wonderful Savior and I'll take that, please. That's what I want. I want to enter in. That's what faith does. That's what faith says. And when we do that, then our faith has found a resting place, hasn't it? Our faith has found a resting place. Nancy, we're going to sing one verse of this. Should you stand up so you don't go to sleep? Probably. Stand up so you don't go to sleep. I got one more point, and I don't want you to go to sleep before we finish our last point. My faith has found a resting place, not in device or creed. I trust the ever-living one. His wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that He died for me. Turn to your neighbor and say, my faith has found a resting place. Now sit back down. Sit back down.
Has your faith found a resting place in Jesus? Are you, are you counting on the finished work that He has? You may be seated. You, are you counting on the finished work He has done on the cross? Then if that's true, there's only one thing left to do. The preacher just has to make two applications and you'll be gone. Now let me caution you. When you leave the property, make sure that you look both ways. <laughs> right? We don't want any self-fulfilling prophecies here. But here's the deal. There are two applications that we need to make of this. Number one, God has objectively done everything that's necessary for us to be saved. That is number one. Some of us have believed that. Some of us have put our faith in that. Some of us have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, The question and the application for us then is, whose, whose stories are you listening to today? Because one of the things that happens to us is, the world loves to tell us its stories. I don't know about you, but it's very difficult for me to hop in my car without hitting the radio button to turn it on. You know what I mean? And I find that media is beginning to consume my life. How about you? And every, somebody's telling me the story all the time. The news media tells me a story. The radio tells me a story. The, the uh, music industry tells me their story. Uh, you know, Everybody tells me their story, and one of the things that I've discovered that perhaps you've discovered too is that their story is always designed to do one thing and one thing only. It's designed to make me forget about Jesus and the fact that that what He's done for me. And if you're a believer in here today, I just want to challenge you, and I want to ask you for a moment, whose stories are you listening to? Whose stories are you listening to? Because the world is busy at work reprogramming the minds and hearts of believers in Jesus Christ every day so that we forget what the center of the message is and we begin to think and worry and be preoccupied with things that are not really at the center. And so the first application is for those of us who are believers. We need to be listening to this story. We need to be listening to this story, not the world's story. Second application is for those who are here today who have yet to pick up the keys. God has done everything for you that is necessary for you to walk right through the gates of heaven. Have you picked up the key? Have you got the title? Do you know that what you've been promised is going to be yours? When the moment comes, and let's be honest about this, there's going to come a last moment for all of us. It may not be today. I hope it's not. Somebody I just hope it's not, right? But listen, the reality is that someday the diagnosis is going to be terminal. The reality is that someday the heart is going to take its last beat. The reality is that one day we're going to draw our last breath. The reality is that what is coming for all of us is an encounter with the God who made us where we have to give an answer for why He should let us into His heaven. And let me just tell you something, dear ones. If you're here today and you have not settled this issue, this is nothing to play with. There's nothing to play with because neither you nor I know when our last day will come. We do not know when that last moment's going to come. But what I can tell you is we have a great Savior And if you put your faith in Him today, you'll be ready to face that moment whenever it comes. I know this. I know this. So my challenge to you today is, have you put your faith in the One who did everything for you on the cross that's necessary for you to walk through the gate of heaven 
and spend eternity with Him. There's an old song, Just As I Am. You know it, don't you? Why don't we stand up and sing a verse of it together and then I'll pray. And we'll be done. Just as I am without one plea but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bid me come to I say to you today that the prayer is in the song. The prayer is in the song. Just as I am. Not trying to fool God about who I am. Not trying to fool God about who you are. Being honest to God about our true condition. Being able to go to Him and say, Look, I see it. I'm a sinner. I see that I need a Savior. Just as I am without one plea. Recognizing and saying to God, God, I cannot fix this myself. I've seen myself for who I really am, and there is no way for me to get out of this unless you come to my rescue, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, that Jesus died on the cross for me, that Jesus died on the cross for you, to confess to him that you need the blood of Jesus to put you right, that you need the blood of Jesus to put you right, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. What's the next line? I I forget. Somebody... Oh, oh, Lamb of God, I come. There you go. Thank you, Nancy. I need my, I'm having a senior moment. All right. Thou bidst me come to thee. Oh, Lamb of God, I come. Oh, Lamb of God, I come. Is that your prayer today? If you've never entered in, is that your prayer today? May it be your prayer today. Because let me tell you something about that little prayer. It'll take you from the depths of hell straight into heaven. It will take you from the depths of death right into eternal life. Just as I am without one plea. Let's pray together. Lord, here we are just as we are. Some here today don't know you yet. They need you. Their heart is telling them they need you. They just don't know what to do about it. If you're one of those people, just follow me in this little prayer, will you? Lord, just as I am, just as I am, I come. I'm not trying to fool you about who I am. Lord, I don't have a plea. There's no way I can fix the problem I'm in. My sin has just ruined me. But the blood of Jesus was shed for me. I've heard this today and I believe it for the first time. That the sacrifice of Jesus was enough and is enough. That it has satisfied God the Father. Lamb of God, best way I know how I'm coming to you today. Putting my faith in you. I'm trusting you to get me home. I'll respond to what you say. Save me today. Dear one, if you're praying that today, I'd like to pray for you. If you'll just raise your hand, slip your hand up. Nobody has to know about this, but if you're receiving Christ today, I'd like to pray for you. I'd like to encourage you that way. Anybody receiving Christ today? Anybody? Father, we thank you for the fact that you are the God who has made this wonderful full provision for us. 
Perhaps it's the case that there are some here today who prayed that prayer but didn't have the courage to raise their hand. That's okay, Lord. That's okay. You know how it is. We're just weak creatures, and you gave your strength for our weakness. So help them, Lord. Bless them. Bring them all the way in. Give them the, give them the courage they need uh, to rejoice in you. Change their hearts. Thank you, Lord, for the stories that you tell us that are designed to change our hearts, that are designed to pull us into fellowship with you, that are designed to help us in our weaknesses. Help us, Lord, those of us who know you, help us to feast on your stories. Help us to feast on your stories and to have our hearts changed into the likeness of Jesus Christ, the Son. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming. You're dismissed.